Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to do some scripture reading. We're going to start working our way through the book of Psalms in our readings. So let's go ahead and just start at Psalm 1. We're going to do 1, 2, and 3 this morning. Then we'll go over to our New Testament reading in 1 John. So helpful to have that graphic up there. Thank you, Libby, for doing that for us. That really is helpful. The book of Psalms, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you would like to follow along with me on an electronic device, if you don't have the ESV, feel free. So let's begin at Psalm 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings... Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And then Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. 
you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Oh, that's what we pray, isn't it, Lord? Your blessing be on us. Let's go to the New Testament now. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. 1 John 2, 1, in the back of your New Testament. We'll go down through verse 14, not reading the entire chapter. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandments, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to be able to gather with your people and lift up our voices and sing praise to you. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of hearts that are singing with joy in you. We thank you so much that you have not remained silent, but you have spoken. You have spoken in the scriptures. We know your testimony is true. You are no liar. We thank you that when we Come to our Bible, we have truth upon which to build our lives in a world of confusion and disarray. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all who will trust in Him. The wickedest sinner who will call upon the Lord Jesus, Jesus will save So we pray this morning, our Father, that if there might be one among us who is heavy laden, weighed down with guilt and shame because of 
his or her life. We pray that you would open the eyes of the heart. They would call upon the Lord Jesus who is mighty to save. Who has grace that is greater than all of our sin. Please, Lord, we pray. Draw the lost to the only Savior of men. And then help us as those who know him. Though we are frail and weak and our testimony is very inconsistent, woefully inconsistent at times, we pray that you would help us to cling ever more tightly to Christ and enjoy his love and his acceptance. Father, bless the rest of this service now as we continue to sing and then As we have our time with the children, would you let your blessing be upon them and upon that time? And then the preaching of your word, Lord, come in power and move our church, grow our church, which is your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for being a part of our... uh, Gathering in this morning, I got my water here, I got my Bible, my notes, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Father, we need your help now as we open up the scriptures. We need your help to preach and to hear. So, Lord, come and supply everything that every one of us needs. We pray that if there be one here without Christ today, that he would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved and find What a transforming difference Christ makes in the life. Lord, help us to see that the misery, the emptiness, the despair that we may be experiencing today is because we need the Savior. There is no misery and despair and emptiness in Christ. So we just pray, Father, please draw draw the lost to him. And if we're a believer but we've wandered off, Oh, Lord, draw us back close. We ask it for the glory and praise of Christ Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Well, in preparing the intro to this new sermon series that we're going to start today, I came across one of the most intense body cam videos that I think I have ever seen. Uh, The video was of a New York City police officer several weeks ago. He was attempting to talk a suicidal man off of the ledge of a building. Did anybody else happen to see this video that I'm talking about? The officer pleaded with the man, we're here for you. Everybody's here for you. We're going to help you. Life is beautiful, bro. You're beautiful, brother. Please don't give up on me. I love you, brother. I care for you, brother. Lean on my shoulder, brother. I promise you are my friend. I promise we're going to be fighting together. I promise we'll give you the services you need. There are solutions. There's a way to ensure you get out of this. Just listen to my voice, brother. And this officer goes on like this for 40 minutes with this man about to leap to his death. When his fellow officers finally managed to grab the man and pull him to safety. This officer who had been pleading with the guy reeled around, I mean instantly reeled around 
walked back toward the squad car, squatted down, put his face in his hands and began to weep, to sob from the release, the relief of the stress and the, the emotionally grueling experience that he had just endured. It is an incredibly powerful video. If you care to look it up, you can find it, I'm sure, uh, on YouTube or on, on, online. I say that because in certain respects, the Corinthian church was on a ledge. And by this, I mean that with all the stuff that was going on there, it had placed itself in danger of plummeting from the gospel. And it's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians who is pleading with the church. For example, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. As we begin today, a prelude of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Listen to Paul pleading with the church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Over in chapter 2, verse 1, more pleading from Paul, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You can hear him. He's calling the Corinthians to to look to the power of God and not men. Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul tells the Corinthians, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Then down in verse 18 of the third chapter, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Chapter 4, verse 1, or sorry, verse 14. 4.14. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. This is why 
I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a worth love in a spirit of gentleness? And then finally in chapter 5, verse 1, just giving some examples of the pleading of Paul with this church. He says that it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And on Paul goes throughout the letter of First Corinthians. The Corinthians, you see, they've placed themselves in spiritual danger, so their apostle is pleading with them in this letter. And that's the reason for my title of this new sermon series, an exposition of First Corinthians, Paul's plea to a church on a ledge, to a church in danger. So let's rewind the tape for just a few minutes as we make our way into 1 Corinthians. When Paul first arrives in Corinth, it's probably A.D. 51 or so, he immediately does what he always does first. What's he do? He starts preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, guess what? As he's preaching the gospel, people are responding. They're responding in repentance and faith. First this one, then that one, you know. Until a new church is planted in Corinth, of all places. Now, I say of all places because sin abounded in the cosmopolitan city of Corinth, the chief commercial city of Greece. The Corinthians were intrigued by Greek philosophy and captivated by the disciplined training and athletic events held at the Isthmus. At one time, the city was home to at least 12 pagan temples. The worship ceremonies carried out by a thousand temple prostitutes connected with the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And this bred blatant immorality throughout Corinth, so much so that the Greek verb translated to Corinthianize meant to practice sexual immorality. Prostitutes openly plied their wares, And meat markets thrived on sales from the sacrifices offered in the temples. The Corinthians ate well, satisfied their sexual urges without condemnation, flirted with the wisdom of men, and did all they could to keep their bodies as beautiful as those of the Greek gods. They loved to listen to great orators. And for the 250,000 citizens of Corinth, there were almost two slaves per person. What more did Corinth need? That's from the new inductive study Bible. Well, Corinth needed the gospel. And they got it thanks to Paul. And he reminds them in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. And let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, 
The same gospel Corinth needed. Jefferson City needs. And Rutledge. And Newmarket. And White Pine. And Talbot. Knoxville. Morristown. Nashville. Memphis. Our entire state, in fact, our nation, our world, needs the gospel. Do you see what happened this week in Lewiston, Maine? Eighteen people massacred. These folks were ages 34 to 76. Did you hear that just three weeks after Jews in Israel were set upon by marauders who murdered 1,400 people and injured nearly three times that number? Did you hear that Jews in this country were warned to remain home this weekend? Stay inside, keep your doors locked because of a pro-Palestinian protest in front of the Brooklyn Museum. Did you see that? This after Jewish college students had to barricade themselves inside a library in Greenwich Village while a pro-Palestinian mob banged on the doors outside, beating on the doors, trying to get at them. And then here in our own area, this past week, meth and fentanyl seizures, with the arrest of a man in Dandridge, numerous home and property break-ins with thefts of firearms, knives, coins, power tools, hand tools, and an all-terrain utility vehicle. How many of you remember when you could go to bed at night and leave your door unlocked. Anybody remember that? You don't dare do that now. My dad, I just he happened to quip this morning. He said, this is the most dangerous time I've ever seen. The fabric of our nation is in tatters. While avowed enemies of God Control the commanding heights. This is what judgment looks like, brothers and sisters. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach, a disgrace to any people. Our country, our state, our own community needs the gospel. The gospel that is so beautifully proclaimed in 1 Corinthians. The gospel of of God's Glorious revelation of His grace through Jesus Christ. Listen, to save the vilest sinner who will turn to Him. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to reach a certain moral standard, a moral height that you have to rise to before you can come to Christ. No, you come to Him on your knees. You take your pockets and you turn them inside out and say, i got nothing. And Jesus, I come to you. And He'll receive you when you do. Well, that's the gospel going to Corinth of all places. And while preaching the gospel there, Paul receives the added blessing of meeting this Jewish husband and wife by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Apparently they had received the gospel, had become believers in the Lord Jesus previously, 
They had come to Corinth. They had been forced out of Rome by an imperial decree in AD 49. This couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they go on to become Paul's close friends. They even, he says later, risk their lives for me. So Paul ministers the gospel in Corinth for 18 months. Then he leaves for Ephesus. He takes Aquila and Priscilla with him. From there he goes on to Syria and Antioch by way of Caesarea. We know all this, by the way, thanks to Dr. Luke in the book of Acts. Eventually, Paul comes back to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And while he's there, he gets the disturbing news that there's trouble in the Corinthian church. Major trouble. And the trouble has to do with immorality inside the church. You see? Church on a ledge. How can a church tolerate immorality inside its ranks? (laughs) Oh, we're sure doing it today, aren't we? We know from 1 Corinthians 5.9 that Paul had previously corresponded with the Corinthians specifically about this issue because he says in 1 Corinthians 5.9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge, purge the evil person from among you. By the way, we don't have this previous letter that Paul speaks of in that ninth verse there. It's been lost. Then as Constable explains, Paul gets the word that factions have developed in the Corinthian church. He also receives a letter from the church in Corinth requesting his guidance in matters of marriage, divorce, food offered to idols, the exercise of spiritual gifts in the church, the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Those who carry this letter also report other disturbing conditions in the Corinthian church, including the condoning rather than disciplining of immorality, Christians suing one another in the pagan courts, and disorder in the church meetings. And if this wasn't enough, it seems that there was a conflict that arose between the Corinthian church and its founder, Paul. There's internal strife in the church. But the larger problem seems to be that some in the community are leading the church into a view of things contrary to that of Paul. Now listen, resulting in a questioning of Paul's authority and Paul's gospel. See what I mean by a church on a ledge? In serious spiritual danger. So all of this leads Paul to write now the letter of 1 Corinthians. This letter that we're going to be studying uh, for some time. He promises to visit the Corinthians. 
And he says, I'm going to send you my associate, Timothy, who's going to so represent me that it will be as though I am there. It appears trusted messengers deliver the letter, which Paul pens from Ephesus in uh, late winter or early spring of A.D. 56. And brothers and sisters, you know when Paul writes 1 Corinthians that there are tears that are streaming down his face. That officer's tears, you remember, when he talked that man off the ledge? Paul was trying to talk uh, the Corinthians off of a different kind of ledge. And he's doing it with tears, we know. Because he says in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And may I just say, Mill Springs, I have abundant love for you. Well, thank you, but I want you to know. Well, let's hear now from Scripture how the gospel first comes to Corinth. Okay, and, and what I want us to do is see if we can figure out how in the world did this church wind up out on this ledge with so much trouble, so much confusion. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. And we're going to hear how the gospel comes and see if we can pick up on what goes wrong that the church finds itself in such danger in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. Here's what we read, beginning Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens, having preached the gospel there, and, and having been, as one commentator put it, dismissed with polite contempt. And he went to Corinth a little more than 40 miles west of Athens. So we're talking about a, a, a day trip by boat or else several days by foot. This Corinth, by the way, was a new city with no major building more than 100 years old. And the reason was because there was this uh, civic revolt that had taken place earlier, uh, 44 B.C., um, and the Romans just came in and obliterated old Corinth and left it just rubble. Bible scholar Gordon Fee says that when you put the historical evidence all together, it suggests that Corinth was at once the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. Okay? So try to imagine being in Corinth. This is who Paul's writing to. Verse 2. And in Corinth... Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus near the Black Sea, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. You'll see her in your New Testament also called Prisca. And they had come there because Claudius, the Roman emperor, who reigned from A.D. 41 to 54, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So here's an anti-Semitic decree that has been issued expelling the Jews. And the reason they were expelled was because allegedly they had been creating civic disturbances over this uh, one called Crestus, which is either a misspelling of Christus, Christ, 
or an alternate spelling based on the Latin pronunciation. And he, Paul, went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. Likely they were leather workers. The Jewish tradition said if you're going to teach, given religious instruction, you should also work at, a, at another occupation while you're doing that. And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. These were Gentiles who had attached themselves to the synagogue. Sometimes you'll see them referred to in your Bible as God-fearers. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy, Paul's co-workers, arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. In other words, he went full-time. And the reason he was able to go full-time was because they had brought an offering of support, money, financial support from the churches in Macedonia. And he was testifying full-time to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Don't you love it? You see, that is the same message that he was given on the road to Damascus. Paul's not out trying to invent new messages. He's just being faithful to the one message. That the Christ is Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments. This was an act symbolizing repudiation of their opposition. And he said to them, to these Jews, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. In other words, your everlasting doom for rejecting our Messiah. It's your fault. I've done all I can. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I'll go to those who aren't Jews. And so he does. Verse 7. And he left there. He left the synagogue and went to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, a God-fearer. And we presume that this man had been converted under Paul's ministry in that synagogue. His house was next door to the synagogue. How would you like that? You get kicked out of the synagogue. You go to the large house right beside the synagogue. Uh, you think there was some tension in that community? Titius Justice was a man of courage and commitment, wasn't he? But look at this, verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. You see, he was, as synagogue ruler, he knew those Old Testament scriptures that he was hearing Paul preach. God just begins to move in Crispus's heart. <laughs> and even though he's the ruler of this synagogue, he calls upon Christ and owns him as the Messiah. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Do you see the, you see? Belief. That's the order, right? Belief and then baptism. Have you believed? Have you been baptized? Listen, that's the, that's the order. Never the reverse. Belief, baptism. If you've not believed and been baptized, you, you need to see to that immediately. Now comes this most gracious gift from the risen Christ 
to his often beaten up and beaten down apostle, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Now, let me just ask you, why would he need to say that? Because Paul was afraid. This man had been beaten so many times. Don't make him a superman. He was an ordinary man. But the Lord said to him in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent. Don't you let them intimidate you, silence you. Why? For, verse 10, I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, there are many in Corinth who at Paul's preaching of the gospel will believe that gospel. The Holy Spirit will be at work in their lives and will yet bring them to saving faith. The old Bible commentator Matthew Henry puts it so beautifully. He says, the Lord knows those that are His, yes, and those that shall be His. For it is by His work upon them that they become His. Let us not despair then concerning any place when even in wicked Corinth Christ had much people. He will gather in His chosen flock from the places where they are scattered. Oh, yes. And brothers and sisters, listen, they're scattered here. They're scattered all over this community. And we're charged to, to, to go with the gospel. And be busy proclaiming that gospel. Remember what the good shepherd said? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. We have every reason for confidence. Not in us, but in the shepherd who's calling his sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And boy, did this vision recharge Paul's batteries. Because look at verse 11. He stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. And then finally, verse 18 says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Now, let's begin to wrap up. We've got to ask this question. How on earth 
does the Corinthian church wind up out on a ledge, as it were, with so many serious problems, in danger of plummeting from the gospel itself? What happened? Paul, you'll notice, poured 18 months of his life into this church. By contrast, the Thessalonian church, you know, they got, they got a matter of weeks before Paul had to leave. And yet Paul could say to the Thessalonians, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You're pleasing God. You got it, Thessalonian church. Just do it more and more. You can't say that to the Corinthians. After 18 months of pouring himself into that church, how in the world did the church in Corinth wind up out on this spiritual ledge? Well, here's how. By absorbing their culture. By mirroring their culture. By embracing the culture of the world around them. They, they were enchanted with the Corinthian way. They were enthralled with the world that they saw. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world, the Apostle John said. If anyone loves the world, what? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world's passing away along with its lusts, its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Yet in Corinth, the love of the world was prevailing. Instead of the church being in Corinth... Corinth was in the church. And you know what the New Testament calls that? It calls it the outrageous sin of spiritual adultery. James 4.4, you adulterous people, he says. It calls it hostility. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. That's how serious this is. Calls it idolatry. Colossians 3, 5, put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? This earthliness. Put it to death, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The Corinthian culture was sensual. It was corrupt. It was promiscuous. It was... Prosperous, it was lewd, prizing appearance, charisma, novelty, and power. And so was the Corinthian church. Church, like the culture. Whatever the culture's music, the church tap danced to the music. Does that sound familiar? How much would you say the American church is dancing to the music? Absorbing the culture, mirroring the culture, embracing the culture, the world around it. Since 2014, Ligonier Ministries has been taking the theological temperature of 
the United States to, quote, help Christians better understand today's culture and to equip the church with better insights for discipleship, end quote. According to their most recent state of theology research, U.S. adults are increasingly rejecting the divine authorship of the Bible. Now, you won't understand what's going on. Listen, here it is. U.S. adults are increasingly rejecting the divine authority of the Bible. 53% of U.S. adult respondents agreed with this statement, quote, The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true, end quote. Ligonier goes on to say, and rightly, This makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural values. Oh, that's true in the Bible because I agree with it. That's not true what the Bible says because I don't agree with that. Who's the authority? God's the authority, you wicked sinner. Right? Repent. So we have this ready embrace of sexual behavior that is condemned in Scripture. That's where we're at today. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. No. No. We cannot go down this road. Look who we are as Christians. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.1. We're done. Look who we are. We're going to impact this next week. Word for word, I promise. Christian seniors, Christian youth. Oh, I'm so thankful for the young people in the room. Christians in between. Look at this. Look who we are. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We are the church of God that is in Jefferson City, if you will. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, do you hear it? We are those called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And because that's who we are, we are to conform our lives to His Word rather than twist His Word to conform it to us. Lord, please keep us from foolishly, wickedly absorbing the culture mirroring the culture, embracing the culture. Listen, if we do that, the culture's lost. I mean, there's no hope for it. There's no hope for sinners. If the church compromises its message, we know that we are from God, John said, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Oh, God, keep us off the ledge. Help us recognize the clear and present danger in 2023.
close with this. Baxendale tells the tragic story of an artist who was sitting on a rock several hundred yards in the ocean that the retreating tide had left bare. There he sat, sketching on his canvas the beautiful scenery around him, the sky, waves, and sea, not realizing that the tide had turned, was cutting him off from the shore, and rapidly covering the rock upon which he sat. The waves, the deep, the rising sea were completely forgotten. So absorbed was he in his painting. Nor did he hear his friends calling to him from the shore. This sermon, this series, this letter of 1 Corinthians is going to say to us, pay attention. Every time we open it up, it's going to say to us, pay attention. Stay off the ledge. I pray we listen. Father, thank you for this day and thank you that we could be together and uh, get this series started. Lord, we pray that by it you will strengthen us. You know why you've laid it on my heart. Why months ago you laid this letter on my heart. So, Father, I pray that you will help me in the days and the weeks that are ahead to be faithful, to teach what the text says, not what I might want it to say. And Lord, help me and with my people here, our brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, help us to humble ourselves, bend our knees, and take the low place before your word. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.